When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zipline through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This is Need to Know. Real talk about unidentified anomalous phenomena. From Australia, Ross Coulthard. From the US, Bryce Zabel. Hello and welcome to this latest edition of Need to Know. The month where I think the pushback began. We've had a lot of legacy media having a snipe at the David Grush story. And my good friend and colleague, Bryce Zabel, my golly, he's been gallivanting around Scandinavia having a good time, haven't you, mate? I have. Uh, I managed to avoid a lot of that. Although, I can't, you know, there's nowhere in the world where you can go anymore, Ross, and you know this as well as anyone, where you're not, you've got your internet, so you've got your email and you've got your news and you've got everything. The only thing I miss is I can't watch, there are no cable stations in any of the uh, hotels or B&Bs I stayed in. So I, I kind of missed that news. I had to get it online. But yeah, I've been traveling in uh, uh, both Sweden and Finland uh, for the last, uh, I guess, two and a half weeks. My uh, oldest son got married to a Swedish woman. So lovely. I was there for the uh, the wedding and and it was uh, lovely. And of course, Sweden plays a very important role in uh, UFO history. And uh, I'm going to save that with uh, make that a little tease and we'll come back to it later on in the show. But yeah, a lot of things have been going on and I know you've been in the thick of it. So I'm going to let you carry the ball to get us started and then I'll chime in with my usual um Whatever, whatever you would I call that. Yeah, look, I don't know where to start, to be honest. I mean, I find it hilarious, you know, just just at this sort of cusp of your summer months, I sense somebody in the in the intelligence community has sort of got out of bed, pulled the belly button fluff out and gone, oh, crikey, that David Grush guy, he gave us an interview. He's, he's, he's dumping on us. We'd, we'd better say something. Christ, what are we going to do? Let's get the disinformation boys onto it. And I, I truly, I mean, I've just never been quite so hit before by a volume of intense, vociferous, nasty, snide, hateful, and at times quite threatening messaging from people on social media. And, uh, you know, undeterred, fuck them, as we say, we'll just keep on going. Uh, one, of the, one of the worst was uh, an attempt by the, um, the Washington Post to uh, misrepresent a story that was posted by The Intercept, which essentially was a smear job on um, David Grush. Quite a hateful, quite disgraceful smear job where 
David, as you know, had raised his PTSD with us in the News Nation interview. He'd done entirely the right thing. And he basically uh, explained how, as a result of the um, death of a close friend who suicided, David had spiraled into PTSD. It had brought back memories of his own experiences in Afghanistan. He'd hit the bottle and his wife was concerned. There was a, a gun in the house. And so she called police. And uh, yes, there were police records, which David had told us all about, wanted us to know about this, uh, which basically raised concerns that he might hurt himself. And so he was on his own admission, on his own volition. He gave us the information that he'd been admitted to a mental health facility to help him overcome an experience of PTSD. And some pretty low-life grubs in the legacy media and in an online webzine who I won't distinguish by even naming them, resorted to attempting to smear him. And then, um, of course, when um, David was led to the conclusion because the police had essentially misled him about where those records were released from, they told David that the records were not released by the local police when in fact they were, he was led to the conclusion that the records came from the intelligence community, which is not an unreasonable conclusion because that's the only other place they could have come from. But it's, I mean, I just want to explain this story because it's very interesting. It shows how disinformation works and it shows how slime bags in the media are capable of being manipulated to use that disinformation. And so what happened was there was a, a, a young dweeb from The Intercept who basically did a story at the suggestion on his own admission of people in the intelligence community, which essentially set out to smear David Grush because he had PTSD. And the obvious inference, and in fact, the, the actual suggestion in the article was that there was some question about his mental reliability and his, his veracity as a witness, because of course, he uh, had suffered from PTSD and had had suicidal ideation. And um, as you know, my friend, it all kind of blew up in their face because social media and uh, I think a lot of the other media, including News Nation and The Hill, rightly responded and said, what business was it of theirs to go using PTSD and the issues of um, uh, mental health caused by battle stress? Why on earth is that relevant to somebody's security classification when the Defence Department has, of course, made the adjudication that it's not an issue at all? But that didn't stop the Washington Post from having a go. And they had a snipe last week, late last Friday, I think it was. And um, they uh, ran hard, of course, with the idea that News Nation had had to correct the assertion that the documents were leaked from within the intelligence community. And what they didn't admit, of course, was that the police, as we explained, the police had actually given David Grush false information. And they didn't explain that on his own admission, the reporter from The Intercept admitted that the source for his original tip that led him to the documents that were held by the police department was, surprise, surprise, the intelligence community. And so you have this nasty little hit job from a, an online webzine given to a very young, mm -hmm. very inexperienced reporter who was terribly excited to get a drop didn't really ask enough questions about why he was being given that drop, didn't ask enough questions about whether it's legitimate to say that somebody's security classification should be taken off them just because they've suffered PTSD. 
an illness, by the way, that suffers, that's suffered by one in five American veterans. You'd, you wouldn't have anybody working in the military industrial complex if you had one in five American veterans taken from their security clearance. So it was actually quite a shameful, quite sad episode. Yeah. I, I actually felt quite sad about it, to be honest, Bryce, because it was a tacky, disgusting, slimeball attempt to vilify David Grush for absolutely sure. no good reason. And, and I, I, quite a shameful incident, frankly. Well, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, first off, Ross, the the bit about the uh, tweet bots. You, I, I assume you mean X bots right now. The uh, X bots, of course. The yes, you're right. Taking you on. But I feel really, uh, I feel bad that you have to put up with that because here you are just trying to uh, do the job of a journalist, and you shouldn't have to be subjected to that. But that is the kind of the world we live in right now. It does certainly seem like uh, the last month. If the if the tide was rolling in the last uh, you know few months, it, it started rolling out again uh, last month. Kind of an empire strikes back situation. If you think about it, um, the, the the thing about the PTSD, and I, I think this bears some discussion here, is I remember uh, meeting Dave Grush when you introduced us. Uh, that was last May eighth, and I remember him telling me about it. I believe. Uh, at that very lunch that we first shared, uh, he wasn't uh, shy about talking about it. He was. Uh, he also mentioned that he had a, a, a bit of autism that he that he had, and um, he he didn't seem to be hiding anything. So here's the thing. Um, I wonder. It's, it's not good how it got out. It's not good how uh, the intelligence community started feeding these little tidbits out. But on the other hand, I look at David Grush as one of the most important people uh, ever to speak his uh, his truth in the in this ufological world that we're talking about. And because he's so important, you know, I mean, isn't his background and all of it fair game. That's what I'm hearing from people. Why wouldn't it be fair game to know about it? It doesn't disqualify him because remember what I think uh, you said it earlier. Um, here he has PTSD, a common ailment, um, and he's willing to talk about it. Um, and, and he kept his classification, even having these incidents happen. So obviously they were not disqualifying, but is it wrong to talk about the struggles that Dave Grush has had, uh, doesn't it make him uh, more solid as a witness if we know uh, what has happened to him? And I, I say that not wanting anybody to have to go through having their personal lives dragged through. I mean, I wouldn't want it if to happen to me and I wouldn't want it to happen to you, but he is testifying before Congress. He's a whistleblower. He's bringing out information. That's the most important information that I've heard in my lifetime uh, in a public setting like that. So is it terrible for the information to come out or is it terrible the way it came out? No, it's the way it came out. It's, yeah. it's the fact, it's the fact that somebody's PTSD is used as a smear. Uh, I mean, the bottom line is um, the Washington Post didn't report in its snide hit job on us that the um, the story that was written by The Intercept was actually motivated by a tip from within the intelligence community, which is what The Intercept's reporter actually boasted about in an interview, I think, with the Hills Rising program. And 
I think that's the issue. The issue is that somebody in the national security establishment on, on the reporter's own admission used personal health information of Mr. Grush to try and denigrate him. And what, what I think about that is it goes back to the days of Daniel Ellsberg, a good man who I once had the the, the opportunity to interview, the, the whistleblower who released the Pentagon Papers in the 1970s under the Nixon regime. And what's amazing to me is the fact that people in the intelligence community would think that somebody who legitimately sought psychiatric treatment for a mental illness caused by their exposure to traumatic stress in their service to their country could somehow be used to denigrate them and essentially to challenge a finding by the Department of Defense's own security division that said, you know, we vetted Mr. Grush. Yes, he's disclosed to us that he's got this PTSD, but frankly, we accept that he should keep his security clearance. And there were unnamed sources quoted in the Intercept article who basically asserted that they believed that Mr. Grush should not have been allowed to keep his security clearance. I guess it's fair for the reporter to report that, but I think also it's incumbent on a reporter to ask the question, why am I being leaked this information? Why am I being given this tip? I'm being given, I'm being given this tip because, frankly, there are people in the intelligence community right now who want to shut David Grush down, and that's what's right. going on. I mean, there's a, there's a very clear effort at the moment, and by golly, the pushback, as we'll call this show this week, has begun. There's a pushback from within sections of the compliant media who will basically be fed material by the intelligence community to try and denigrate this whistleblower who has come forward with information in a way and with a detail that has never been presented to the Congress before. And as I said at the head of this program, I think what's happened is the intelligence community has been caught flat-footed. I don't think they knew in the very beginning how to deal with this issue. And so there's been basically two months since Mr. Grush's yeah. interview, and they're now scrambling to try and find a way of denigrating him. And frankly, I think it blew up in their face, Bryce. Sure. And and you have to ask yourself, uh, not just uh, about the how of, of this uh, leak or this uh, feeding of information, but the why. I think the why is fairly obvious. Uh, one of the things uh, that even Marco Rubio said in an interview that he did, I think, uh, less than a month ago, he said that there were numerous other whistleblowers standing by, but they were watching to see how uh, David Grush and others would be treated as they came forward. And it sure seems like a pretty good message to send out if you don't want people talking about this. And there are whistleblowers standing in the wings uh, trying to, you know, see which way the wind is blowing on this thing. Uh, if you show them that David Grush is, is going to get attacked for uh, after he's even testified before Congress, that would do uh, have a certain chilling effect on other people wanting to come forward. So that's uh, clearly the rationale as far as I can tell. Um, and it is interesting because this pushback is kind of two-pronged. Uh, it, it is the government, obviously, in some respects. And it's not all of the government. The government's not a monolith any more than anything else. But there are elements within the government that obviously favor uh, keeping this thing on the down low and not making it uh, making the whole UFO UAP reality issue something that we are all discussing every day. So they'd like to put that one away for a while. 
Um, and and so clearly the, the, there's a motivation to do that. But the pushback is also seeming to come from the media because I'll tell you the one thing. I, I was reviewing a lot of articles that have been written, and uh, I've tried to curate the Grush story as best I could, not only in articles but also on our YouTube site about things that um, have been uh, you know, reported about him. And it does seem like when Grush initially came forward, when uh, your News Nation special, the one that was called We Are Not Alone, aired, I think a lot of people were sort of t also taking a wait and see thing because a lot of the media at that time was like, well, gee, since we're not breaking this, do I really want to cover this Australian journalist, Ross Coltart, breaking this story with this whistleblower on News Nation? Do I want to give other journalists the, the credit for this thing? So a lot of people kind of you know, held back. And, uh, and I noticed that the, the amount of the negative articles uh, increased only after, uh, I, you know, several weeks after the News Nation break that you had. So I think it, there's a media pushback and a government pushback. Uh, and, and we can get into this later, but I think it's still doomed to failure. I, I think you can push back all you want and you're buying time, but I don't think you're uh, changing history. Need to Know continues in a moment. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The other thing that I think we need to note as an event which is of true significance in the last week or two has been the fact that the, um, I think he's the chairman of the House um, Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, Mike Turner, who's mm -hmm. the congressman from Ohio. Um, he, he's made it very clear, apparently, behind the scenes that he is very strongly of the view that there should be no further um, oversight committee hearings uh, into the allegations raised by Mr. Grush, certainly not in public hearing. And um, I'm told there's a real blue underway to try and find out how this leaked because Turner's angry that it's got out from within Congress that um, uh, he has interceded. He doesn't want people to know that he's been actively involved in trying to stop the David Grush evidence from being further presented to Congress. And there's been, I think, instigated uh, in intercession by him to stop any further public hearings in the House. And so where we are at the moment is there's a big question mark about what's going to happen next. There's an enormous question mark over whether in September, when the House resumes, will the Senate, particularly will Senator Gillibrand, 
and members of the Senate Select Committee for Intelligence use one of their subcommittees to hold further hearings. And moreover, even if that subcommittee does hold further hearings, will the witnesses be allowed to testify in circumstances and under terms and conditions that allow them to explain what they know? This is the next big issue because, frankly, the pushback is more happening behind the scenes. I'm talking to people in the Congress who are telling me that the lobbying from the Pentagon and the intelligence community is intense. It's being made very, very clear by very powerful members of the intelligence community, if you like, the the gatekeepers to a lot of this information, that they do not want public hearings. And if the comments attributed to Congressman Turner are correct, he's actually acknowledged apparently, that this could be embarrassing to the Defence Department if this information was released. Well, embarrass away. I mean, let's let's expose it. I think it is embarrassing. Uh, It's interesting, by the way, I just point out, I don't know if we can make anything of this, but if I'm not mistaken, I believe uh, Mike Turner is the congressman who represents uh, the district that has Wright-Patterson in it. Um, exactly. And of course, for those of you uh, listening in, uh, Wright-Patterson is where uh, allegedly the uh, Roswell uh, wreckage was, for uh, some of it anyway, was first sent there. And Wright-Patterson was also the place where Project Blue Book uh, was centered during the uh, 50s and 60s. So kind of an important area. And I, I think Mike Turner knows a lot more about this issue than, than he would be comfortable getting out. And Ross, one thing I did want to kind of ask you about because one of the leaders from Congress has been Tim Burchett, obviously, uh, the congressman from, I think it's Tennessee, right? And It's a cover-up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do, a great, uh, you, you do a great voice of this guy. So listen, um, he's really taken center stage over the last year. I think we've watched him go from being sort of a, a voice on the side to a voice right squarely in the center who is willing to say in that, that – um, wonderful drawl of his, you know, it's a cover-up, as you said. And I I saw a bit of an interview with him uh, recently where he sounded a little bit defeated, like he was actually admitting that the pushback was greater than he anticipated, which I I, I wonder, um, do you think that that's, that, that even the Congress people who seem to have had such a head of steam to push this forward, do you think that they're feeling the winds blowing against them as well? Yeah, I think they are. I mean, you and I had a show a couple of weeks ago where we talked about whether there was going to be a sizzle or a fizzle, and I was very distinctly a fizzle. I do think at the moment the pushback is winning. Uh, One of the big things that's being fought against, and, and this is one to watch, this is why it's so important that people write letters to their congressional representative or to their senator, because the next few months are absolutely crucial. Firstly, the Chuck Schumer legislation. We know that there is proposed legislation before the House that refers to non-human intelligence or non-human technology over 20 times. And this Schumer amendment is meant to go into the National Defense Authorization Act, the appropriations legislation for the Pentagon and the intelligence community, which would be passed normally towards the end of December at the end of this year. And so it's the um, appropriations for the money to keep the Defense Department running for 2024. And at the moment, Chuck Schumer, who is the Senate Majority Leader, uh, has got this incredible, like unprecedented piece of legislation 
into the proposed NDAA, the National Defence Authorisation Act. But I can tell you the pushback is intense. There are Pentagon lobbyists who are trying to get these references to essentially demanding that uh, aerospace companies and the defence and intelligence community fess up about any non-human intelligence or any non-human technology. They're, they're fighting to stop that legislation from going through. Now, this is really important. Sure. This matters because ultimately... What happens in Congress, it really only happens because people say they want what they want, and they're doing what they think the public want. And I can tell you right now, most Congress people and senators do not think the public really care that much about UAPs. The message is not getting through. And the best example of that, and I I want you to talk about this because you did a particularly good post about this week, is that buffoon Governor Christie during the presidential debate, mm. being asked the key question about UAPs. And what did we get? We got the usual giggle ridicule. Yeah. Well, so I'll tell you something. Hey, take, uh, take us through what happened. Uh, you know, on the sizzle-fizzle front for a moment, um, if you think of the uh, battle for disclosure, the war for disclosure to be the, you know, the overall large emergence of uh, this reality into our national and international discussion, there are going to be battles and some of them will be won or lost. So obviously we're in a battle right now and, and uh, we could even lose this battle for a short term, but it doesn't mean the, the war itself for more transparency is lost. Um, and something else happened this, I will get to Christy in a minute. Something else happened uh, this week you know, we are so polarized in this country and around the rest of the world, particularly over Donald Trump. One of the things that people have said with these um, indictments, particularly the Georgia one, is it's no one is above the law. So, OK, the idea that no one is above the law may be why there's this pushback, uh, because I think, as you have said and others have said, Ross, uh, you don't maintain a 75 year cover up uh, without a you know, having to get your hair mussed a little bit. And it, it, and even Dave Grush has said that people have been murdered in order to maintain this secret all this time. So I think it's entirely possible that there is a concern that once you start kicking down all these doors with more congressional hearings to get more and more specific and lay this out in greater and greater detail and with which would energize uh, a lazy media to get back to work on it, then you might turn up some things where people have committed crimes and they will be proven that they're not above the law. So I think there is some of that going on. Now, as for that Republican debate, I watched the debate and and I do actually, I, I tried to do a deconstructive uh, little video on YouTube. It's about 10 minutes long. And for those of you that can find our YouTube channel, it's it's right there. Uh, a, a quick summary of it, though, is that this was the first Republican debate. And, and Ross, you know better than anyone, I've been riding the horse for a long time, that it's inevitable that this topic of UFO, UAP reality, this issue is going to get into presidential debates. And I thought it would get in in 2020, didn't really, but literally on the first debate of the season uh, with that Republican debate, it came barreling in when uh, Fox uh, uh, anchor 
uh, Martha McCallum asked Chris Christie about it. And he just literally, it was infuriating. Anyone that knows anything about this topic literally had to listen to the guy say that uh, it was a big joke. He made it seem funny uh, that that she would pick on him to do this. Uh, and and the, the thing is, that stigma, boy, did we get a good example of how stigma works because she didn't get halfway through her question before uh, Christie was doing his sort of uh, smile and smirk kind of thing, that kind of unnerved, or then the public kind of. What, what did he say? He said, "You're you're asking me a UFO question." Yeah, and 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 then the audience started tittering, and 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 so then she laughed, and uh, Brett Bear, her co-moderator, was smirking, and so it got off to a terrible start, and then he didn't make it any better, and and it was just a mess. Uh, he didn't really talk about the issue. There was so much that he could have done. And one of the things I tried to do in that thing was just to say, okay, you got a minute to talk, right? You got a minute. That's how these debates are. Do you really want to spend your minute making fun of the topic or do you want to show that you're up to speed on it? He obviously wasn't up to speed because I think if he was, he would have had something more to say. It was. Whereas, whereas can I make, can I make this yeah, point, Bryce? Um, I, I don't know how you say his first name. I'm presuming it's Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, yeah, uh, Viv yeah. Vivek Ramaswamy. Well, actually I, I, we may have that wrong, but I call him Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. Vivek Ramaswamy. He's very impressive. He's a very sharp yeah. Republican candidate. And uh, he actually tweeted, uh, David Grush pointed this out to me just this morning, that Vivek Ramaswamy had actually tweeted very much in support of UFO disclosure. Yes. And he's made quite upfront pledges, basically saying that he thinks that there needs to be openness and transparency. And, uh, you know, well, how interesting and how refreshing to have a presidential yes. candidate being prepared to speak candidly without embarrassment. Uh, this is what uh, Vivek Ramaswamy said ahead of the House Oversight Committee hearings. He said, I'm calling on committee members to publicly ask witnesses the following seven questions. We can handle the truth, he wrote. Has the US government become aware of actual evidence of ET or otherwise unexplained forms of intelligence? If so, when did this first occur? What are the names and titles of the people with direct first-hand knowledge of and access to the crash retrieval programs? Which facilities, material bases, how to recovered material? What special access programs cover this information and how is it possible they've evaded oversight for so long? When did these programs begin and who authorized them? What level of security clearance is required to fully access these programs? Which private corporations are involved? Has there been an active US government disinformation program? All really good questions. Hey, Russ, listen, we, we, we got to bring Vivek on as a consultant then because he's just laid out the topics for the next 10 episodes of Need to Know. Uh, Absolutely. It, it, listen, I, I give him points. Uh, and, and in fact, had, had it not turned into an object of derision uh, in that debate, then it might have become something where uh, other candidates could have weighed in. But it was such a... a, a a joke by the time um, Christie got done with his response, there was nothing to go forward with. And frankly, it's kind of strange because it, it was certainly uh, presented as a national security kind of thing. And that seems like a valid part of the debate. I just wanted to point out, cause I do like the history of it. The last time uh, in a significant way that UFOs 
got into a presidential debate was in 2007 in uh, one of the uh, Democratic debates. And one of the candidates was Dennis Kucinich, who had been the mayor of Cleveland, who had seen a UFO. And the host, Tim Russert, asked him about it. And uh, the same thing kind of happened, uh, except that Kucinich was trying to be honest and talk about his experience. And uh, it, it became, again, uh, an, an audience that didn't want to hear about it. Uh, also, Obama was asked about it in that debate, and I believe he completely uh, pushed the whole topic aside and said, well, he was more worried about uh, the, you know, the issues here on Earth. Um, I, I will point out one thing. Uh, in 1976, and I love this, this fact, um, you had, um, actually 1980, rather, uh, you had Ronald Reagan, the Republican nominee, and Jimmy Carter, the Democratic nominee. And they both, I believe, maybe they only had two debates, maybe three. Um, and it never came up, but both of those candidates had seen a UFO up close and personal. Carter had even filed a report on it. And Reagan, when he saw it in 1974, instructed his pilot to chase it. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, there's certainly room in these debates to talk about it, particularly since these days the whole issue uh, has its traction that it has in Congress, specifically because uh, it is a national security issue uh, as it's been presented. So I, I'm, I'm a little... Uh, you know, I, I I may be not as optimistic because I, if I was a, a moderator now, I'd be very concerned about trying to bring up the topic again. I mean, uh, Martha McCallum really, I mean, think about the humiliation of that for a moderator. You have to laugh at your own question as if you've asked a silly question because that's I, the I, prevailing I, mood in the room. Why, why is it, I mean, this is the thing that I didn't understand is why is it a silly question when the Congress has just held hearings from a major league whistleblower saying that he thinks there's been serious criminal and illegal activities well, to and, conceal from it, Congress? And, and clearly Martha McCallum knows this. I kept thinking to myself, okay, does Christie simply not know? Is he uninformed to the degree that he doesn't know that these pilots, these two pilots uh, who are flying, you know, ex super expensive aircraft for the United States are reporting things they can't explain and that there's a whistleblower saying that we have crashed craft and it, it, it this just happened the month before in Congress and he doesn't know this? I mean, that was what he should have talked about. He he could have simply stated what the situation was and moved on, but, but he didn't do that. He made it a joke again. And he literally, I, I got to tell you where I had literally had to well, I didn't literally do this, but where I felt like I had to tear my fist out of the ceiling was when he invoked Martians, because I just oh, thought, yeah. come on, man. That is, as I said in that video, that is so 1950s. Uh, we yeah. just don't need to be there anymore. Stay with us. We're back in a moment because you need to know. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. I want to come back to this. I want people to be very aware of just how important this Schumer legislation is. Yeah. It has it has been conveyed to me by multiple sources now that if that Schumer legislation, the legislation that demands that both the defense and intelligence community and private aerospace reveal what they know about non-human intelligence or non-human intelligence technology, if that amendment doesn't go into the legislation at the end of this year, I'm told any form of public disclosure of what they know will be delayed by years. That's not a good thought. And um, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. And one of the problems, of course, with lobbying in the Congress, the way that it all works is you get some bloke in a uniform turning up to a senator's office and it's all done behind closed doors. And, you know, bottom line is, why are some of these senators going quiet? I mean, why has Senator Gillibrand, for all her talk, still not met with David Grush? Uh, okay, that, was that a rhetorical question and that you actually no, have true. an answer? Because what is the answer? What is know. the answer? Why is she not meeting with them? I don't know. And, I mean, and if public, she's not- I, mean I, I get the feeling she's saying one thing publicly that, you know, I care about this issue, it's important, we should have transparency, we should have accountability. But she keeps on buck-passing it back to AARO, the Pentagon's all-domain anomaly resolution office, which is about as effective as a wet piece of lettuce. And um, the bottom line is AARO still doesn't have a phone number, still doesn't have an email, no website. It's done one tweet. It's not doing its job. And I'm hearing from people who've gone to ARO, I've spoken to a number of people who've testified to ARO, that their relationship and the level of interest that they're getting from ARO has been deeply unsatisfying. Well, that they're, they're not getting the impression that this is being properly investigated. So you've got a key senator on the Senate Select Committee for Intelligence, Senator Gillibrand, who I'm afraid is making all the right noises publicly, saying she's interested in this sure. issue and she's worried about transparency. I'm not seeing a genuine effort on her behalf or indeed on behalf of other senators, key senators on that committee, genuinely moving to engage with this issue. What we need, for example, is for, say, the Intelligence Community Inspector General, Thomas Monheim. He could be called. He's the guy who's currently investigating Mr. Grush's complaints. He should be called because he could once and for all resolve the issue. Why did he find that Mr. Grush's allegations, his complaints, both about reprisals and also about the the, the illegal operation to hinder congressional oversight of this legacy crash retrieval and reverse engineering program that's alleged to exist. Why did he find that allegation from David Grush to be credible and urgent? Uh, that's, that's what I would, I'd want to haul that man in before Congress if I was uh, 
working in Congress and, and asked that question. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, one thing that we have to answer for, because in the last uh, Need to Know episode, we talked at length about Arrow's Sean Kirkpatrick, and he and you had just exchanged emails, and there was even some talk that, uh, loose talk maybe, that we might get him on our show. Whatever happened to that? Not a peep so far. I've made a request for an interview, and, and he's indicated a willingness to, to do an interview. Um, I'm told that his office either has been or is about to be moved under the control no longer of Ron Moultrie from USDI, the Office of the Undersecretary for Defence Intelligence and Security, and that he's now going to be placed under the control of the Defence Undersecretary, I think, um, Kathleen Hicks. And that's a positive move because it puts them further up the hierarchy in defence and it removes them from an office that Lou Elizondo, for example, the former head of the Pentagon's UAP investigation program, believed was obstructing and hindering proper investigation of the UAP issue. So I, I, I think there's, there's some progression, I think, for Arrow. It's got a bigger budget. More importantly, it's now under the control of a higher level in the Defence Department, the Undersecretary for Defence. So let's just wait and see. I, I'm dying. I'd love to do an interview with Dr. Kirkpatrick. But at the moment, right. what I'm hearing is not positive. Okay, well, and then the other thing I just thought we should toss out there is um, we are sort of in an all grush all the time kind of mode right now because the other follow-up whistleblowers haven't followed up yet. Uh, but we were also in a an extended multiple year. Lou Elizondo was everywhere all the time. And now we don't hear from Lou Elizondo hardly at all. Do you happen to know why? Look, I think what's happened is he's been focusing on his book. I know his book is before the Defence Office of Pre-Publication Security Review because he's a security-cleared official. He has to put everything he writes, everything he wants to publish before DOPSA and get their approval, just like David Grush did to do his interview with me and with Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal. And so the... Um, the uh, the waiting game is on. I, I know, haven't heard. I haven't heard from Mr. Elizondo whether he's got Dopser approval, but I do know his publisher is very keen to get his book out there. Oh, by the way, my new edition of In Plain Sight will be out in America in uh, about four weeks. Hold them both up together. They look different. You, you've got yeah, a whole different look. It's a little smaller, slightly different cover. Yeah, yeah. They, they call oh. this the B format edition. I think. I, well, I like it. Revised and updated. Well, I can't wait to uh, to tell my friends to pick that one up. It's been an important book. Hey, you know, the thing is, it, when you say, well, Lou Elizondo fell off the map because he's got his book to do. I mean, look, you were updating and writing a book. I'm writing a book right now, but here we are. You know, you can walk and chew gum and at the same time, and you can write a book and, and appear on a podcast at the same time. I don't know why he has to be completely missing in action, because I'd like to hear more of, of what Lou has to say about some of these, these things. Anyway, uh, can we move on? I want to talk about Sweden for a minute. You yeah, I want to hear about Sweden. Sweden. Okay. Did, you see any, did you see any UAPs? It's got quite a <laughs> Well, hey, listen, one of the things that I thought was so great about your book, and, and you know, certainly one of my interests is the history of this whole thing. Because, uh, again, as we've said many times, this thing didn't start in 2004 with Nimitz. Uh, it goes back to at least... Uh, World War II and maybe beyond World War II. So um, 
I, I so we do like to talk history from time to time. And I was I've been thinking about UFO history a lot because while I was in Sweden, uh, it it reminded reminded me very much that. Uh, in 1946, which is the year after World War II ended, and remember, during World War II, people were uh, seeing uh, Foo Fighters. That was the first time where both American and uh, German pilots were seeing things around them. We've talked about that before, but in 46, after the war is done, the world is is on its back. I mean, it was uh, obviously a tough time for the world after World War II, and suddenly. Uh, in in the, the summer of 46, primarily, Sweden is being inundated by things flying over it that they started calling ghost rockets. And that it, you know, over the years, people started to think, well, you know, those must have been, you know, Nazi V2 rockets that were sent out there. And, and it turns out that that's really a, a, a pretty specious argument. The majority of these uh, ghost rocket sightings were described as elongated, sometime with wings or fins, and they had these bright, fiery exhaust trails. So I guess you could think of them as a rocket at that point, but they also were doing maneuvers. They were going in groups. They were going slower than rockets. They certainly weren't meteors, that kind of thing. So um, it's, a, it's a fascinating story. It went on in Scandinavia, there were sightings in Norway and also in Finland and 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 really around Europe, but but most of them in Sweden. Sweden took it very uh, seriously. Uh, we actually sent uh, General uh, Doolittle out to take uh, a look into it, uh, along with uh, General Sarnoff, uh, who were very high up in uh, the U.S. military. And here's what's interesting about it. At the end of the day, uh, uh, you know, we could do a whole show about ghost rockets. We may have already talked about them at length, but the Swedish government actually at the end of it uh, came up with their own conclusions, wrote their own report. But what was interesting is that report was never shared with anyone. And then it finally came out in the 90s. And I just wanted to read to you. I looked up uh, what a, a, a quote from that report. And here's part of what it says. This is from the Swedish Air Intelligence Service. And it says, quote, some reliable and fully technically qualified people have reached the conclusion that these phenomena are obviously the result of a high technical skill, which cannot be credited to any presently known culture on earth. They are therefore assuming that these objects originate from some previously unknown or unidentified technology, possibly outside the Earth. Okay, so that that's 1946. So, wow. uh, but, but but Bryce, nothing happened. Uh, nothing happened before 2017. I mean, yes, exactly. this is what the this is what the Pentagon's trying to do. So, it's trying to control the narrative. I got a great idea for us, Ross. Uh, we talked about it, and I just want to bring our our viewers and listeners in uh, because we got to start with. Uh, Sweden right now, because, you know, I just came back from it. I'm thinking of it, but it lands us in 1946. And, and frankly, the ghost rockets were the defining moment of 1946 in ufology. What Ross and I are going to try to do from now on is at the end of each show, we're going to sort of do the highlights of the next year and sort of tell the story of UFOs through its history. So we've done a little bit from 1946, uh, this episode, and next time we'll talk about the mega year of years, 1947. And then as each episode goes on, we'll just move a little bit further down the road. And in about a year, we'll uh, 
or maybe a little more than a year because it's been going on that long, we'll uh, finally catch up with the present. And I think it'll be a good thing because uh, if, as has as, as often been said, if you don't know the lessons of history, you're, you're bound to repeat them. And clearly the history of the UFO story is just so fascinating. I mean, that's why people have libraries like Ross and I have where we've got, you know, 100, 500 books or whatever. And, and you, the more you read about it, you realize this isn't all brand new. This has been going on. And the reason I think it's important, Ross, and I, I know you and I have talked about it, is um, it's one thing to, to today say, well, I think maybe those were an American black ops kind of thing, or maybe the Chinese have done it, or maybe the Russians are doing it. But, you know, back in 1946 and 47, when this was starting, I don't think China even had an air force. And Russia certainly didn't have anything that could do any of the things that that are being reported, and neither did the United States. We know this for a fact. So the, when, when people were reporting these incredible things, and we will be telling people about these incredible things going forward, uh, you, you can't really say it, it you can't, you gotta do the math. If it's not us, it's not China, it's not Russia, it's somebody else. And uh, I think this will be a fine little trip through history as we, as we take it over the next uh, episodes. No, I agree with you. I think it's important to remember uh, that, that this is not a new phenomenon. It, it's been around for a long time. And and those who constantly go back to the idea that this must be foreign adversary technology, they can't explain the fact that this is technology that was being reported, seen, and even filmed 80, 70, 80 years ago. I'm ready to get out of here, but I will just end on the, you know, because we have stirred up a hornet's nest with our sizzle or fizzle debates or whatever. And I just, you know, listen, I, I don't want to be a Pollyanna. Uh, I don't want to be saying it's all going to be beautiful. Uh, and But I do think that even if Congress is going to get the cold feet, it's not going to matter in the long run. I just don't think you can stop this, Ross. I really think it maybe in 23, it'll slow down. But there's too many people talking about it, too many places looking into it. And if the uh, government uh, doesn't want to lead the parade, then they're going to have to just get in and be one of the floats in it. And that's the way it's going to go down. Well, I hope you're right, my friend. I, I, I'm a little more grim. I, I, I just know how Congress works, and I'm not hearing that the right people are engaged. But one thing's for sure, mate, just because there's a pushback, ain't going to stop us. We're going to keep on digging. We're going to keep on asking questions. And the simple reason why is because you out there have got every right to know. We need to know. Need to Know is a joint production of Stellar Productions and Powerful Owl Productions. The producer is Rich Johnson. Want more? Find more at needtoknow.today. That's needtoknow.today. Today.